Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this evening in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm eager to preach, but permit me to take a moment to publicly express what a joy it is to have been invited to worship with you tonight. I'm grateful for the friendship and the kindness and the ministry of your pastor, and I thank God for his hospitality and encouragement uh, just a few hours that I've been in town. It's a joy to hear how God has been at work in the life of this church over the course of this weekend, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share God's Word with you tonight. If you would take your copy of God's Word and make your way to Isaiah chapter 55 in the Old Testament, the prophecy of Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, Isaiah chapter 55, let me breathe the word of prayer and ask God's blessings over our time together tonight, and then I want you to hear the reading of God's Word, and we'll consider what God will say to us tonight out of what he has already said to us in his holy word. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, your name alone is worthy to be praised. We give you praise for your manifold blessings toward us. Above all, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. It is in his name now we ask that you would cause our worship to go higher as you deepen our understanding of your word. Be our teacher now. Help us to lay aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness so that we may receive with gentleness the implanted word that is able to save our souls. And then help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only lest we deceive ourselves. I pray afresh tonight for physical strength and spiritual energy to speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and freedom. We recognize that as the seed of the word is planted and watered, only you can make it grow. So we look to you for the increase and reserve for you the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 55 is the passage for our consideration tonight. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, it reads this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. <clears throat> Hear that your soul may live. 
and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. This is God's Word. I want to label the message tonight simply the great invitation, the great invitation. Crescenzio Ibarra taped a video inviting his neighbors, family, and friends to a birthday celebrating birthday party for his daughter celebrating her 15th birthday. It was to be a grand affair with music and food and games, including a horse race with a 10,000 pesos prize. Everyone is invited, said Ibarra during the 45-second video clip standing next to his daughter and his wife. But a local photographer posted this little video on the community's website and inadvertently when he posted it on the Facebook page, he clicked public instead of private. 1.2 million people RSVP'd for Ruby's 15th birthday party. <laughs> the video was shared 978,000 times. And hashtag 15 Ruby became a trending topic on social media. In fact, the Mexican airline Interjet got in on the fun, offering 30% discounts for flights <laughs> to anyone who was headed to this small 10,000-person northern Mexico village. The party took place on December 26, 2016. Thousands of people showed up for the party. The poor little girl was obviously overwhelmed by it all. 
A young man even lost his life in a freak accident that took place during the horse race. Her mother, Aneldo, said to a reporter that my husband sent out the invitation, but it was just to the neighboring regions. I don't know who copied it, but they shared it and it went public as if it was an invitation to the whole world. This true story is a tragic illustration of the human condition. We receive invitations from the world that are not meant for us. And we respond to invitations from the world that cannot fulfill what they promise. Too often, sin causes us to crave what is not actually true and to ignore what is ultimately true. C.S. Lewis said it well. I suppose that the Lord does not find our desires too strong, but rather too weak. We are like half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and drink and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. Like little children who continue playing with mud pies in the slums because we do not know what it's like to be offered an invitation to a holiday at sea, Lewis rightly concludes we are far too easily pleased. But I stand tonight to say to you, friends, true satisfaction in life is only found in the great invitation God extends to guilty sinners. And this great invitation may not be stated any greater than it is here in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the great chapters of the Bible that declares the redemptive work of the coming Messiah King, who is referred to as the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 54 of Isaiah explains and expounds on the benefits of the suffering servant's work for the people of Israel specifically. But Isaiah chapter 55 is a wide-ranging, far-reaching, and life-transforming invitation extended to one and all. Our holy God extends a great invitation for guilty sinners like you and me to get right with him. And in this chapter, it's, it's a meaty chapter. I want to walk you through the chapter. In this chapter, Isaiah makes two big points about this great invitation. On one hand, Isaiah says, God extends a great invitation that is too good to be true. Stubborn sin has brought divine judgment on God's people through the Babylonian captivity. But now the same God who has brought judgment offers comfort. He offers to feed, to free, to forgive, and to fulfill his people. But this invitation is more than a good opportunity. It's a divine obligation. 
In the first half of this chapter, in verses 1 through 7, there are no less than 12 commands, 12 mandates, 12 imperatives from God. In these opening verses, God commands sinners to come to Him, to trust His promises, and to repent of their sins. First, God commands us to come to Him. Look at verse 1. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Did you catch the key word of the opening verse? It's repeated four times in verse 1. Come, 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 come. True satisfaction is only found in God alone. You must come to Him. But this invitation has a condition. Do you see it in verse 1? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. God here offers satisfaction to anyone and everyone who recognizes his or her spiritual thirst. On the other end, friends, let me warn you, arrogant self-sufficiency automatically disqualifies you from divine benefits. Before you can drink of the living waters, you must admit that you are thirsty. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and drink. Like a merchant standing on the street corners, God hocks his wares to the passerby. But unlike the merchant on the corner, God extends his products to people who can't afford to buy them. Verse 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Look at this next phrase. And he who has no money Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says it this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If your soul is thirsty tonight, God says, come, buy wine, buy milk without money and without price. Lawrence Richards rightly comments here why it's free. It cost us nothing. It cost Christ everything. Note in verse 2, Isaiah confronts those who won't accept the great invitation. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In this second verse, Isaiah is saying that not only does sin rob us of spiritual benefits, it also robs us of spiritual discernment. Sin makes fools out of us. The rich live by their money. The, labor, the poor live by their labor. But he says both lives are wasted in sin. The rich spend their money on what sin offers only to find out 
is not real bread. The poor spend their labor on that which sin promises only to find out that it does not truly satisfy. And the first word of verse 2 is the key word of the verse. Why? Why? Why turn your back on God for the world when what the world offers cannot satisfy? Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus makes the same point with two questions. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what in the world can a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that, friend. What does it profit a man to live in a big house in a gated community, but your soul is homeless? What, what does it profit a man to drive a fancy car with two names on the hood, but your soul is thumbing a ride? What, what, what does it profit a man to wear designer clothes with a European name on the label, but your soul is naked? Here, Isaiah says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and let your, delight yourselves in rich food. When I first learned that verse, I learned it from an old King James Version that says, let your soul delight in fatness. I like that. <laughs> Only God satisfies. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I say unto you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He has passed from death to life. God commands us then to come to him. But then God commands us to trust his promises. Verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Now, for the fifth time in this passage, God extends this invitation to come. But notice what surrounds this call to come. First, he says in verse 3, incline your ear. And then he says, hear. For you to benefit from the great invitation, for your soul to benefit from what God offers, you must hear and incline your ear to the Word of God. Here he says, if you do it, your soul will live. The great invitation has lifetime benefits. God says, if you will hear my Word and respond to my Word in faith and repentance and obedience and submission, he says, I can give you new life, abundant life, eternal life. He describes what this life is in the next phrase. He says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. This is the joy of God's invitation. When God grips you by his grace, he will never let you go. He will never change his mind about you. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, and he describes it as my steadfast, sure love for David. This is a reference to the covenant God made with David, promising him, a lasting throne and a permanent dynasty in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Here he says, behold, verse 4, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. In, in some sense, this is a reference, as the text says, to some 
king of, of Israel that falls in the line of David. Isaiah is somehow referring to some merely human Davidic king. But ultimately, this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, in Acts that is, Acts chapter 13, verse 34, Paul says, And as for the fact that he raised him, Jesus, from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, quoting from Isaiah chapter 55. Here, Paul in Acts 13 is declaring to us that the promises of the great invitation in Isaiah chapter 55 are only and exclusively and ultimately fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or let me just let Jesus say it for himself. In John 14 verse 6, he declares, I am the way and the truth, and the life. You missed it, let me try it again. He did not say, I will show you the way. He did not say, I will tell you the truth. He did not say, I will demonstrate how to live. He says, I am, or, and he did not say, I am one of the ways. I am one of the truth. I'm one of the alternatives for life. He says, I and only I am the way am the truth, am the life. You want to know how to be saved? I am the way. You want to be sure? I am the truth. You want to be satisfied? I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here in verse 5, the Lord speaks directly to this servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, saying, Behold, you shall call a nation that does not know you. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and because of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. <laughs> but the fifth verse is saying is that this promised king in Isaiah would not merely be the king of the Jews but he would be king of kings and Lord of lords. This fifth verse is an allusion to the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God commands us tonight, friends, to come to Him. God commands us to trust the promises He has made to us in Jesus. And then God promises us to repent of our sins. The, the invitation is extended to one and all, but you must come on God's terms. When I was a boy in church, some of the old saints would say, I'm saved and going to heaven anyhow. No, you don't go to heaven anyhow. <laughs> no, you, you go on God's terms. And the terms here are very clear. One, one word summarized the terms. Repent. God says, for you to come here to him 
and trust the promises of his son and benefit from this invitation, you must repent. You must repent immediately, and you must repent completely. That's verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, repent immediately. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This is parallel language. To seek the Lord is to call on the Lord. The emphasis of verse 6 is on the urgency of the call. Watch him. Seek the Lord when? While he may be found. Call upon him when? While he is near. This always blows me away. Listen to the magnitude of what Isaiah says here. There is a time, he says, when God may be found and a time when God may not be found. There's a time when God is near and a time when God is not near. When is God not near enough to be found? I don't know and I don't want to know. <laughs> Neither do you. That's the point. God is sovereign. Life is short. Death is sure. Hell is hot. Eternity is long. You don't have time to play in sin. You don't have time to play with the world. You don't have time to play with the sinful pleasures of this life. Get right with God while you got a chance. Psalm 32, verse 6, David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly call upon the Lord in a time when he may be found. Surely in the rush of great floodwaters, they shall not come near him. The, 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 the idea is that you better call on God. Don't, you ain't got time to play in sin. You need to hurry up and get right with God. Because there is a flood of judgment coming. There will be flood of trouble in this life. You could be riding high now, and a flood comes from nowhere. But the promise of Scripture is that if you, 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 can't, you can't run and hide from God, church, but you can run and hide in God. And when the flood waters rise, they will not come near you. Repent immediately, but then repent completely. I think verse 7 is the best definition of what repentance is in the Bible. I, I don't think there's no clearer picture of repentance. We, we think repentance is regret and remorse over sin, but it's more than that. It, it's, real repentance is not merely feeling sorry about your sins. It's, be, it's being sorry enough to quit. It's a twofold process, described succinctly in verse 7. Listen to what he says. On one hand, the wicked must forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. But, but note those key terms. Ways and thoughts must be forsaken. I have a problem with iniquity and transgression. In both my attitude and my actions, I rebel against God. And he says the wicked need to forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then there's just one more step to the process of repentance. Let him return to the Lord. 
You missed it, church. The command to return to the Lord is the good news that in spite of your sinful thoughts and ways, you can return to the Lord. He doesn't give a long other list of things you need to fix that you have messed up. If you could fix it, you wouldn't need to return to the Lord. You, you just need to come to him, run to the cross, and throw yourself on his mercy. And the text says, if you return to the Lord, he will have compassion on you. And if you come back to God, look at the end of verse 7. He will, I'm reading from the text, he will abundantly pardon. I, I don't even know what that is, but I like it. <laughs> he, he won't just pardon you. He will abundantly pardon you. Isaiah 55, verse 7, is a restatement of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, says the Lord, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, I will make them white like wool. And so in verses 1 through 7, we see that God extends a great invitation that is too good to be true. But then in verses 8 through 13, Isaiah declares the second big idea of the chapter. On one hand, God extends a great invitation that is too good to be true. But God extends a great invitation that is too good not to be true. You know, the axiom says if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And the world has a right to think in such cynical terms because life is filled with bait and switch invitations. But Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, let God be true though every man be a liar. When you read verses 1 through 7, it's an invitation that just seems too good to be true. This invitation of God is too good to be true, but because the invitation is from God, it's too good not to be true. Ray Ortland Jr. comments here succinctly that the gospel is not some little psychological uplift. It is tomorrow's world headlines today. In the second half of this chapter, verses 8 through 13, Isaiah gives three reasons why you should trust the great invitation tonight. I hope you'll hear them. Three reasons why you should trust the great invitation. First, he says, trust the great invitation because of how God thinks. Because of how God thinks. Verses 6 and 7 says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he may be while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. And, and all you got to do is return to the Lord, and he'll have compassion on you and, and abundantly pardon you. And when you are there under the burden of the guilt of your sin, you hear this invitation, and it seems too good to be true. But then in verses 8 and 9, Isaiah says, listen, don't judge God's thoughts and ways by your thoughts and ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen to what he says. Don't judge God by how you would handle things because God's, God's thoughts and ways are different than ours. In fact, one commentator said it well. Our thoughts must never be the measure of what God can accomplish. God's thoughts and ways are different than ours. My father was my hero. I just remember as a boy, I'd travel with my father, and just informally being with my father was just like being in the classroom. I was always learning something. We could be driving down the street and just in casual conversation, he would be discussing something, and he would just blow my mind. And and on a couple of occasions, I'd say, wow, Dad, I, I didn't know that. And on occasion, he would say, son, there's enough you don't know to start a brand new world. <laughs> and, and, and after all these years, that's, that's still true of me, and it's true of you. There's enough you don't know to start a brand new world. That's why Solomon said to his son in Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Translation, do not depend on what you think you know. Verse 6, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. God's thoughts and ways are different than ours. Moreover, God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. How much higher? Glad you asked. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth. God is transcendent. He is infinitely above and beyond us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And if you want evidence of that, all you have to do is run to the cross and look at Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 says, for scarcely would a man die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one would dare to die. But God so commended his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, you have no right or reason to second guess a God like that. A God that would give his own son to pay for your sins so that you can be awakened in His presence and benefit from His promises. That God is worthy of your trust, worthy of your obedience, and worthy of your praise. Or let me say it in the words of Isaiah 45, verse 3. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You missed it, let me try it again. If God was just an average God, then average praise would be okay. If God was a mediocre God, then mediocre praise would be acceptable. But God is a great God, and because he's a great God, he's greatly to be praised because his greatness is unsearchable. 
Hallelujah. So trust the great invitation because of how God thinks, but then trust the great invitation because of how God speaks. Okay, H.B., God's thoughts are infinitely higher than mine. And if so, if God is way up there and I'm way down here, how can I think God's thoughts after him? How can I know his thoughts or understand his ways? Verse 10. (laughs) For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Just think about what he's saying there. God sends the rain and the snow. And when God sends the rain and the snow, it doesn't just evaporate. Precipitation from heaven produces transformation on earth. He says it doesn't return there. It it makes the earth bring forth and sprout. It waters the earth. That last line in verse 10 really blows me away. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Bread and seed. Seed to the sower, bread to the eater. Seed is the promise of bread. Bread is the fulfillment of seed. God works through storms, and just through a storm, God can can accomplish His will from beginning to the end, from seed to bread. But He says the God that works, that speaks through storms, moreover, speaks through Scripture. Look at verse 11. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. Note that phrase if you're writing things down. Underline the the personal pronouns here. They are key. God says Scripture is my word that comes out of my mouth. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says all Scripture is breathed out from God. And it's profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness. The Bible is not man's thoughts about God. It is God's self-revelation to man. And the nature, character, and authority of Scripture are rooted in the nature, character, and authority of God Himself. He says, when I speak my word, it will never return empty. It shall always accomplish what I purpose. It'll always succeed in the thing for which I send it. This 11th verse is an affirmation of Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Trust the great invitation then because of how God speaks, how God thinks, but also finally how God works. Verse, 11, verse 12, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Again, God is speaking to his people in Babylonian captivity. And listen to what he says. You coming out. But, but watch how you come out. You, you shall go out, says verse 12, because you will be led forth. You don't come out of the things of the world that have you bound by your own wisdom, strength, or resources. You come out because you're led out. And how do you know that only God can do that? It's, it's how you come out. Look at verse 12 again. You shall be going out with joy, and you shall be led forth in peace. Only God can produce real joy and lasting peace. And really in verse 12, he's picturing his people coming out of Babylonian captivity with joy and peace, and they are celebrating the God who can set you free from anything. And the celebration is so great, stay with me for just a moment, nature starts jumping in. I ain't making it up. It's here in the text. <laughs> the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That blows me away because I know people who have picked the church to go to to make sure that they won't be asked to sing or clap. But Isaiah says, the Lord is so good that if you ain't willing to sing and clap, I'll make the mountains and the hills break forth into singing, and the trees of the field will clap their hands in praise to God. Remember uh, Luke 19, verse 40, the great, the great, the great uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem? And, 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 they, and, and, the, and the kids, the kids, the young men know that Jesus riding that donkey into Jerusalem is a fulfillment of what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 55. And they start crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of, and the religious leaders pull Jesus aside and say, make them boys be quiet. They knew what, they knew what the kids were saying as well. Make them be quiet. Remember in Luke 19 verse 40, Jesus says, I would do that, but you don't want me to do that. I mean, if you upset now, you'll really be upset. Because if these hold their peace, the rocks will cry out in praise to me. Is there anybody here tonight that can say, I don't want any rock crying out for me? He's been so good. He's been so gracious. He's been so kind. He is worthy of my praise. Verse 12, verse 12, am I okay, time? Verse 12, verse 12 is, is grace that gives what you don't deserve. Finally, verse 13 is mercy that holds back what you do deserve. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. This, this, this 13th verse, most of the chapter points forward. This, this 13th verse points backward to Genesis 3, you know, when Adam and Eve ate us out of house and home. 
<laughs> and <laughs> as a result of as a as a result of Adam seeing God said cursed will be the ground because of you and you'll work from the sweat of your brow in the field but but thorns and thistles the earth will produce I want you to think about that when you are living in your own strength you can work as hard as you can and 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 there'll be many times when all you will get back is thorns and thistles but God says if you let me work I can turn death into life, judgment into salvation, curses into blessings, barrenness into fruitfulness, and briars into evergreens. Why does God think the way God thinks? Why does God speak the way God speaks? Why does God work the way God works? It's the end of verse 13. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It shall make a name for the Lord. One of my pastoral mentors as a boy preacher taught me to make friends with books. They'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so over the years of my ministry, I've tried to develop a, an expositor's library, resources. to every, every workman needs tools. Books are the preacher's tools. And uh, I've built a library so that I'll, I'll have tools to do my labor so I can rightly divide the word of truth. And I've, I've been blessed to always have young men around me, colleagues, and I've tried to be generous in sharing my resources with them so that they can use them in their study. But early on, I, I would go looking for a particular volume and couldn't find it. And then I'd see old boy <laughs> with the same book, and I'd say, uh, hey, doc, I've been looking for that book. And they say, oh, no, pass. That's, that's my book. I, I don't know what happened to your book. I went and got my own copy. I don't know what happened to your book. And so I had to figure something out. I didn't, I didn't stop letting them use my library, but I came up with a way to fix this so that everywhere I go, I keep a Sharpie marker with me. And whenever I get a new book, I write H.B. Charles Jr. at the top of the book. And H.B. Charles Jr. on the side of the book. H.B. Charles Jr. at the bottom of the book. And then just for good measure, on page 25, <laughs> at the bottom I put my initials H.B.C. 2. So that when you walk around, there's no confusion about who the book belongs to because my name is all over it. God in this church wants to do a great work, but it's not to make your name great. God thinks the way he thinks. God speaks the way he speaks, and God works the way he works so that his name will get all of the glory. These 21 days are not about you. These 21 days are fruitless, ultimately, if you don't leave them singing Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He does it to make his name great. 
an everlasting sign that cannot be cut off, which is fulfilled by his triumphant grace in the virgin birth, virtuous life, vicarious death, and victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A rich man pulled up in his bank to make a transaction. Walking through the parking lot, he saw a beggar in rags walked right by him, but was stopped dead in his tracks, turned around, his suspicion was true. This was not just some beggar. This was his old friend from college. He couldn't believe it. They talked, and his friend told him how alcohol had cost him his family, his career, all his possessions, and left him in this condition, begging in the streets for help. Moved with compassion, the rich man reached into his pocket and pulled out his checkbook and wrote a check for a sizable amount and handed it to his old college buddy and says, this is my gift to you. Use it to get back on your feet. It was some time later. The rich man showed up at the bank again and saw his same friend dressed the same way in the same place doing the same thing. This time he did not pass by him. He marched up to that friend angrily, convinced that this boy had wasted all of this money in, in alcohol, drugs, and, and God knows what. But his friend promised him that wasn't the case. In fact, he reached into his satchel and produced the check. Man, if you still have the check, why didn't you cash it? He said, I tried. But every time I would walk toward that bank and look in those glass doors and see all those dressed up people, I just didn't have the guts or courage to go in. I was convinced they would never accept a check this amount from somebody that looked like me. His friend took him by the hand and started dragging him toward the door with him resisting. He says, I can't go in there. He says, yes, we will go in here and cash this check. What matters is not what you look like, but my name is on that check. The good news tonight is that the great invitation says whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever life looks like, it doesn't matter. God's name is on that check. And Jesus paid it all so that you can come back to God tonight. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing his word. It sounds like music in my ears. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you love him tonight? Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the great invitation. Thank you that by the blood and righteousness of Christ, you have paid the penalty of our sins. You have opened up an adoption agency at the foot of the cross. And your grace is sufficient to restore us, to make us new and whole. I pray tonight that you would bring us to an end of ourselves, 
calls us to recognize our thirst, our neediness, our emptiness without you. Remind us that you are the only source of true satisfaction. Help us to run to the cross where there is free forgiveness and new life and eternal hope. In Jesus' name, amen.